The Viridian Nutrition range of 200 plus award-winning products includes vitamins, minerals, herbs, nutritional oils, specialty supplements, tinctures and balms. All formulated to be helpful, efficacious and pure. By choosing our Viridian Nutrition range, you are one step closer to your goal of 100% wellness. Ethical vitamins with an organic heart. Available at all Browns outlets. Browns and you. There are billions of women passing through similar experiences all around the world and for whatever reason, we often feel like we're alone. It's time to make a point of discussing these topics from a range of viewpoints. These conversations surpass age, race, location. They are relevant to women everywhere. Welcome to The She Word. Conversations that women rarely have, but really should. MAC Cosmetics supports diversity, inclusion, and conscious beauty for all ages, all races, all genders. MAC Cosmetics Malta is proud to support these important conversations. Visit us at Tinye Street, Slima, and let us help you express your true self. Today's conversation is the most requested of all topics. We're going to be talking about women and women's health. And I'm delighted to be joined by Martina, Dr. Martina Schembri, who is our gynecologist, who you're going to be the wise words of the show today. You're the expert. We've got here, it got you here to talk about what you know and what you can share with us and how we can really look at, at our health and looking after our health but also some opinions on what's happened with our guests and Sasha Vela who is a journalist with Love in Malta you have the most incredible powerful story that you're going to share with us today so lovely to have you here Sasha thank you for having me and your beautiful hair everybody <laughs> comments on your hair I've just got to say right now and also Lorinda Mamo aka a uh, bird with a French fry, that requires some explanation, <laughs> but also a cancer survivor, an overcomer, businesswoman, wife and mother of a very special young man. So thank you so much, ladies, for being here. Thank you. Thank you. And we've already, b before the show, been sharing stories, but, but this is really what we're about today, sharing stories and empowering women and making women aware. So before we go any further, I'm going to ask you to introduce yourself a little bit more. So over to you. Right, so um, I'm Martina Shkembri. Um I'm a gynecologist, obstetrician and gynecologist. Um, I work at Mater Dei. Um, been doing this for like 12 years now. Um, anyway, I'm a specialist and uh, yeah, I see a lot of, you know, things to do with the uterus, ovaries, tubes. That's basically obstetrics and gynecology just for, um, uh, we deal with anything that happens with that organ, which is a lot. Takes, yeah, takes six years to specialize. So there's quite wow, a lot wow. <laughs> to, wow. to study. But um, you're also a bit of a superhero yeah. because you came to the show and uh, on the back of a 12 hour, a 24 hour shift. Yeah. So we're all sitting here in absolute amazement <laughs> going, wow, <laughs> Martina, yeah, you're amazing. Yeah, but thank you for being with us. Thank you. <laughs> Sasha, you're, you, a little bit of information about yourself. So my name is Sasha. I am a journalist by profession. Although I am actually an artist, I studied art at the university. Um, as a person, I'm very interested in humans. So I think that is why I ended up um, within this career. And also one of my passions outside of work is documenting people. And I'm also really interested in environmental matters, which is 
where most of Malta knows me from, I think, at this point. Um, but yeah, raising awareness on issues is something which is very close to my heart. And I like to touch upon a multitude of topics to do that. So yeah, basically. And I'm so glad that we've got you here because as you said, your story is really, really powerful. And we're going to talk about that in just a second. But Lorinda, uh, before you introduce yourself, why bird with a French fry? <laughs> <laughs> years and years ago, I happened to um, just see like a poster and I saw it said a bird as happy as a bird with a French fry. <laughs> and, you know, I pondered upon it. And the next time I looked at a bird, I was like, you know what? It's true. Happiness is just that simple. You give a bird a French fry and it's like you've given them the world. Why do we complicate happiness so much? Nice, nice, <laughs> wise words. But I'm also detecting a non-Maltese accent. Yes. So where are you from? I'm from Toronto, from Canada. Okay. I came to Malta in my 20s, so yeah. So Malta's home. <laughs> Malta's home now, yes. Brilliant. Yes. Well, before we go into your stories and also your wisdom, uh, let me put a bit of background to this because the, some of the shows that we have really impact every single woman. Not every topic does, you know, not every woman is a mother, but every woman has her health or doesn't have her health. So this is a show that's relevant to everybody. And I myself have experienced two female related conditions that remained undiagnosed for many years, extensive endometriosis, and more recently, menopause, which I'm sure will come up at some point. Both were painful and debilitating. But as Mariella Demek said on the show Women in Menopause, we as women, we just get on with it. And I think this is sometimes where we can be our own worst enemy. But also in my case, knowing that uh, this means that I have only had two smear tests in my life, uh, one just very recently, but I know that I should be looking after myself much, much more than I am. And I think yes. that's something that we'll, we'll talk about. And I think that if I felt uh, that if a little priority, a little more priority was given to women's health related issues, then maybe I would have been more concerned and more aware. So statistics are, what are the top health issues that challenge us as women? Well, 2009 statistics reveal heart disease, stroke, diabetes, maternal health issues, urinary tract infections, sexual health, breast cancer, osteoporosis, and Alzheimer's. And whilst a good deal of these also affect men, they are much higher and more prevalent in women than they are men. And that list was a huge surprise to me. But also, how well do we think we are? According to the ratings of self-perceived health status, women in the EU regard themselves as healthy or very healthy. On average, just over 62% report as being in good or very good health. Women in the EU enjoy a high level of health as measured by the variety of a variety of health indicators. Life expectancy has been rising continuously for decades and has reached 80 years, which is well over the six years higher than corresponding average for EU men. However, an awful lot of the conditions that I mentioned are also on the rise. So we might be living longer, but we have more health issues. So those are the statistics. That's the background. We're going to dive straight into the question of what is the reality of women and women's health in 2023. As I said, the statistics just suggest that we're living longer and that we are perceiving to have better health. But I think we're gonna start 
with you, Martina, and say, yeah. is that the case? Are we really doing better than our parents and our grandparents? I think there's definitely much more awareness. Okay, so but there's much more information, much more awareness. People want to know more about health. That I've definitely noted even just throughout the years that I've been in the profession, right? So, I mean, I graduated 2008, so that was a while back. Uh, but like since then, you can see the difference just from when you were a medical student asking patients and they'd be like, well, I don't know what happened to me. They just, you know, gave me anesthesia and I woke up and I'm here, you know, but nobody asked any questions. And now the, the questions are asked. And I think that is really important, you know, because people need to do that. I, I always felt that was something sort of we really didn't do. Um, but yeah, so it's a lot of awareness. There's also social media, much more uh, awareness there. Um, I think, though, um, we we do need to uh, sort of our our job, at least in terms of from from our perspective, doctors wise, it's it's the listening, guiding, uh, you know, being realistic sort of with patients and realizing that ultimately people who are in different phases of life, because all the things you mentioned, it's a whole spectrum of a lifetime of a woman. <laughs> it's not something that's, you know, you know, someone who's young is not going to be or very rarely would be osteoporotic. Um, you're going to have osteoporosis very late, uh, later on in life, sort of. So um, this information and guiding that patient throughout the, the you know, their, their you know, hormonal journey, because ultimately that's what it is, um, needs to sort of, you know, you just need to sort of guide them as you go along. And it's different. People are going to live through things differently from one person to the next and through the different phases of their life. And I think, you know, just listening to what they're, going through and sort of guiding them and explaining really I, I find that if somebody understands what's going on with their body then they can uh, deal with things better as well so I think that applies to all of us if yeah. you know what's happening with your body yeah. <laughs> yeah. then then you can deal with it much better and I think that's one of the, the mm -hmm. issues when you don't yeah. know what's going on yeah exactly the world well, we is can't... a very frightening space right yeah we're not always going to give an answer is the reality as well. I mean, medicine is what it is. We don't have all the answers to all the questions. Um, but I think even just basic, you know, first of all, knowing what your normal is. I think that is really important because everybody's different. Um, and just can you say that again? Knowing what your normal is. Yeah. So for I'll give just a simple example. Someone who's been started on the pill uh, young. OK, so let's say 16 for acne, for example, and then they stop the pill at 25, let's say, or 30. Um, their periods are going to be completely different. Their life is going to be completely different. Their body has gone through their teens and 20s on the pill, which is a standard dose every day um, of a hormonal dose, right? Which is not a bad thing by any um, stretch. But obviously, once that is stopped, then all of a sudden you're in your normal 30s hormonal stage. And you need to get to know what that is. You need to get to know what your cycles are like. You need to get to know what, uh, you know, what ovulation feels like. I mean, these are basics, but a lot of people don't take the time to realize um, these things, mainly because they don't know that it's important to do so. But obviously then anything that changes is a worry, you know. So that's why I say you have to know what's normal to you. Because from one person to the next, some cycles are 35 <clears throat> days long, some cycles are 28 days long. But the 35 days long is normal for that person, and it's okay, <laughs> you know? I've never it's heard, not so I, much of a problem. I don't know if you ladies have ever heard this before, but knowing your, what your normal is, mm -hmm. 
I, I never actually thought about it like that. It struck, I mean, what you're saying is like really hits home because mm -hmm. I was on the pill for a very, very long time because I had um, problems, polycystic ovaries yeah. and all oh. these kinds of things. Um, I had like Hirschuism, so it mm -hmm. was all pro Hirschuism is hair on the face. Okay. Um, so after, like, I think I was in my mid to late 20s, um, my, the pill just stopped working. Mm. So it was a complete shock to me because I had lost control of my system. I didn't know what was going on. It was just like an upheaval. My, I was gaining weight, periods coming, not come, and it was just manic. It was crazy. And then nothing wanted, I couldn't find something that matched me again. Like, so it was really weird. So your normal was just completely yes, gone. It was havoc. It was it wreaked havoc on my system. It just stopped working. Mm. I'm going to ask both of you ladies, how did not knowing or knowing what your normal was lead to you suspecting and particularly in your case Sasha because you were misdiagnosed for a really long time and and as you rightly said, you know, gynecologists, doctors, they're not magicians. But a misdiagnosis in your case is was was literally massive. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well, for starters, I was really young. So uh, when I got eventually got this diagnosis, I hadn't even been to my first gynecological gynecological appointment because I was still nineteen. Okay, and. I basically just didn't know how to deal with it because I was so young. And every time I would go to a doctor and tell him, hey, listen, like something is really wrong with my stomach. I would either get laughed at, which literally happened. The last doctor I went to before I ended up at Mater Dei, um, I told him I had gone to him because I had a cold. And I told him, listen, can you check my stomach? Because it's been growing for years now and I just don't know what's wrong with it. Like, I feel like I'm gaining weight but I'm not anywhere else in my body. Like, I just didn't know what was going on. And I remember he lightly touched my stomach and he laughed and he's like, oh, yeah, that's gas, just so go home and sit on the toilet. <laughs> and yeah, so these are actual things that happened. So then by the time that it was almost too late, I ended up at the emergency room because of excruciating pain. And basically what I had which, let's break the suspense, it was a 33 centimeter ovarian cyst. This massive... Hang on a second, 33 centimeters is... Yeah, remember the school rulers? <gasps> Slightly oh bigger gosh. than that, basically. That's 31 centimeters. Yeah, yeah, exactly. This is over a foot long. Yeah, yeah. 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 It Where? It was massive. Where? It was attached to my right ovary. It's in your abdomen. Exactly. How do you fit that in your abdomen? I have no idea, but this thing basically just morphed and stretched to fit the space that it found. And by the time that we found it, it was because it was pressing against my organs. But even when I was at the emergency room, like it, it was quite... But hang on, was look, quite this, this wasn't something that, that turned up overnight. No, no. Um, they suspect then after after removing it and everything, the doctors told me that they suspected that it was there for around two years and a half. <gasps> and I had gone to two different doctors telling them, listen, like something's wrong with my stomach. They both diagnosed me with IBS. I remember one of them had prescribed me anti-anxiety and anti-spasm pills, but none of them bothered to do a, uh, an ultrasound, which is 
in my opinion, it should come from the doctor, not from the 19-year-old that's suspecting something wrong with her stomach. The doctor should tell her, hey, listen, let's do an ultrasound because we don't know what's going on here. Not shooting a possibility, but it's actually not the case. And I find that in malls that happens a lot. Like, we seem to skip the test sometimes, suggest a possibility, but we don't actually rule out everything. And it should have been a process of ruling that out. We should rule out the worst case scenario. Well, we're skipping to to, to details. And I, of course, I'm going to come back to you in a, in a second because you said some very key things. Mm-hmm. But you uh, you said right at the, the very beginning there that we have to know our body. You knew something was wrong. Yeah, and I and just you wasn't kept, hurt. Uh-huh. So, but Philip, carry on with the story because obviously you don't still have this foot-long cyst oh. inside of you. What happened? <laughs> so basically by the time I made it to the emergency room, it still took after the waiting, five hours later, I was about to be sent home after surgeons told me that it was just a UTI. Five hours later, the emergency room. Okay. So we had done, I don't remember much because for me, it was as if I was living my worst nightmare. I didn't know if I just had a bladder infection or if I just had cancer. Like I had no idea what was going on. And my mom was next to me all the time. And she tells me like to this day, you were passing in and out of consciousness as I was crying all the time. We had done a like basically the blood tests, the urine tests. Um, and then I remember a group of surgeons, all female surgeons came into the room. I think there were there were around seven of them, literally. And they were all circling me around the bed. And they're like, we had a look at your tests. You can go home, Ta, you just have a UTI. And I remember they left the room and there was this one female doctor, which I still don't know who she is to this day. And I wish I could find her to tell her thank you for saving my life. If she's watching, (laughs) please get in touch (laughs) with the she works. Because literally, like she was the one that persisted. I remember she was like, no, something's wrong. Something's wrong. Like this is not a normal stomach, you know? She was feeling me. She was feeling how hard it was, how there was literally no space left. And she had basically done an ultrasound on me. And that's where it all started. Because when they did the ultrasound, they couldn't see anything. Like, they couldn't see my ovaries. They couldn't see my uterus. This thing was so big that they couldn't see the edge of it. And after that, they were like, okay, well, we're dealing with something here that's much bigger than we expected. And then after, we did the CT scan. And the CT scan was the first image that I saw of what I now refer to as a baby alien. Because this (laughs) thing was just so big, so weird. Like, to this day, I'm like, how did my body create this and just keep it there, you know? So yeah, then afterwards, I remember I had stayed in hospital for like two days to do tests to make sure it wasn't cancerous. Thankfully, it wasn't. And then three weeks later, I had the operation and they also had to remove my ovary. Wow. And if I wasn't misdiagnosed for so long, I would still have two ovaries because it got to the point of removing my ovary because it grew so big. And obviously, if it's attached to the ovary, you can only imagine the damage that it did. Well, we're gonna we're gonna come back to to that story in just a second. But before I go any further, I I think that well, I want to I want to ask you. Obviously, once you knew that you weren't making it up, that what Martina had said that you listening to your body and you knew yeah. that your body. Once someone said to you, "Okay, let me just take a look at that." Oh my word, this it was. Did you feel that relief? obviously you knew that you had something medical to deal with, but there must have been that moment of like, I am not mad. Yes, there there was that moment actually, but 
I think I was just as in having an operation for me was the biggest fear possibly and it was coming to life so Vera like that time of my life is a real blur because I was crying every day like my parents had described me I had become a shell of a person and even the friends are as her that, that I had in my life so I wasn't really living and I started living after that thing was out of me like I remember when I woke up from the operation Like, this is over <laughs> partly over I still have to recover you know and that was a very long process but yeah actually being listened to meant a lot at that moment because yeah there comes a point where you're like am I going crazy or is or or, yeah. is, or, or are people just ignoring me like well I don't want to dwell on the negative because doctors do do incredible things but according to a European study of 2000 women by Cosmopolitan above the age of 18. Of course, we have to trust Cosmopolitan, but we'll go with this. More than half of women, 50% of, of the women, feel that they've been medically misdiagnosed simply because of their sex. And one in three, 29%, still don't think they've received the correct diagnosis. The research also shows that women uh, are enduring long waiting times to receive the correct diagnosis, with 23% of women reporting waiting anywhere between a year and 11 years wow. for one of the people who studied. Now, you started off, Martina, again, doctors doing an amazing job, mm. but you started off by saying, this body, our women's body, is complicated. Yes. <laughs> so in mm. Sasha's case, I'm assuming that, that as, the, as a foot-long cyst, <laughs> someone would have picked it up, or is it not that easy? Well... It It's, it makes me sad listening to these sort of stories because it's really that. It's time. Time to listen to a patient, right? Really. That's what it boils down to. If that happened, like, perhaps, obviously, I don't know the ins and outs of every step of the story. But I find that a lot of the time, given just because we see so many patients in hospitals, so many patients as our patients, ultimately, um, we're, we're limited with time. And the reality is that our brain is science right and it's very algorithmic and sort of you know yes no we, it's a pathway <laughs> so um, we don't always give the time and I think that's where then certain cases sort of fall through the net and then you just need that one person who does give you the time mm -hmm. right to then sort of yeah. get to the diagnosis in all fairness I think because we really we do investigate a lot here i mean in your case it i think it was just sort of it was really unfortunate the way things happened but um, um we do you know we do see people relatively quickly um mm. in our system here um uh, there our waiting times aren't that long um, obviously it depends for what but in general at least i can speak for gynae waiting times aren't that long in emergency we're seeing you know patients are seen straight away um from emergency things like that. i mean imaging we do scans ourselves you know all the time sort of you know so in general i would say it's not so as bad as the statistics from Cosmopolitan. <laughs> but well, um, Cosmopolitan, yeah, but you know. obviously the individual <clears throat> cases, you know, so, um, and really me saying this means absolutely nothing to somebody who has passed through it, you know, because obviously the reaction is, yeah, well, mine was the one that was missed, you know. Um, 
but yeah, I, I think that's the one thing that we as need to sort of, you know, we, we really have to, I think, listen to this. So from a patient perspective, the woman knows what's her normal, but then she needs to push with the gut feeling, yeah. you know. Well, let me, before we come to Lorinda's story, let me ask you mm. ladies, because I know I, I'm particularly bad. I've discovered at the ripe old age of 48, before I go to see my doctor, I have to really write down what is wrong with me because I get in front of my doctor and I'm like, oh. (laughs) And for instance, my menopause was misdiagnosed because I kept forgetting to mention Mm -hmm. fatigue, joint pain and headaches because because I was thinking of something else. It's become your normal as well. Probably. Oh, <laughs> so to exactly. you, that is not an issue at all because you know, yeah, I've lived with it, so yeah, that's my normal. Which comes back to what Mariella you was know? saying is that women mm-hmm. just get on with it yeah. sometimes. We're exactly. so used to dealing with period pain and having to live yeah. with it that we just get on with it. But before we, as I said, before we come to Bird with a French Fry, what <laughs> is the way that we can help ourselves as women? Mm-hmm. Knowing your norm, you've just said knowing your norm, but what is the way that we can, and, and your story is different. Sasha, because you did keep going back and we'll come back to your story again in a second. But what can we do as women when we go to see the doctor, when we suspect that there is something wrong with us? How can you said doctors need to have more time to listen? Well, that also gives us uh, the sort of onus to communicate better. Yeah. Yeah, I guess what you just mentioned, sort of writing down a list, it it does. A lot of people sort of seize up as soon as they're in front of us, like so they just forget (laughs) everything, and then they'll probably just walk out of there and then say, "Oh, I just forgot to ask that question. I forgot." And my next appointment is going to be God knows when, you know. But do you think that it might have something to do even with age, like? In terms of... In terms of, like, diagnoses. So even if, for example, if I went and Mm -hmm. said, you know, I suspect or I feel unwell, it might go through their mind that there's, like, a checklist of... Yeah, of course. But seeing that, maybe because she was so young, they completely, like, disregarded all of those very major things. I think that there's, like, the stigma of you can't have certain things because Mm -hmm. of a certain age. Yeah, exactly. But that's the algorithm. Yeah, Sasha's smiling. She's yeah. going, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh. That's the algorithm I was talking about. That's the way we're trained, right? So it's from the most common yes. to the least common. Yes. But the least common, it's very unlikely. To exactly. Be, you know, but actually, you know, it sometimes is. And exactly. we do need to, you know, it's, yeah. it's on us to really sort of keep that in mind. But if as a patient you feel that there's something that's being missed, unfortunately, just because, and it's not just in Malta, obviously. I mean, systems are systems and whatnot. But... If you feel that things aren't being sort of, you're still feeling this and you're being, you know, not being heard in the right way, then you just need to keep pushing, not knocking on doors, essentially. Exactly. On on the same note. Um, um, so this is funny because I'm all for not listening to the Internet. All right. Verifying, everything. Horrible. But it was so unsettling when I realized. So prior to being diagnosed, I was obsessed with Googling abdominal mass, mm. abdominal mass, always Googling it because that's what I felt inside of me. And that's the best way I could describe it in the English language, like abdominal mass. And each time, like the first thing that would come up, ovarian cyst, ovarian cyst, ovarian cyst. Yeah. And then the doctors were telling me IBS. So in some cases, the internet can have the answers you're looking for. But 
you shouldn't just obviously blindly listen to the internet. What I suggest and what I do personally with myself after this experience is I do my research, I go to the doctor and I tell him, listen, I read about this, this and this, mm -hmm. test me. Yeah, exactly. Remove the doubt from my mind. Exactly. And okay, tell me you're doing their job for them. No, as you said, mm -hmm. doctors are humans at the end of the day. They they can forget things. Like, yes, it's very unfortunate when someone goes through a much more prolonged experience just because it was forgotten. But they are humans at the end of the day and you still need to empathize with them. And especially a place like Mater Day, it's extremely busy and they do do a lot for us. So that is something that I've adopted along the way, which works for me and it, it puts my mind at rest. Because obviously after you've gone through such an experience, you can get a bit traumatized, you know? So now I'm like... No, absolutely. <laughs> no, but even I, you know, I, I don't know how Facebook managed it, but it read my thoughts and it came up and said, <laughs> you know, if you're experiencing fatigue, mm -hmm. muscle pain, joint pain, uh, gut problems and headaches, there's a chance that you've got the menopause. And of course, I was on the pill. I've talked about it on the last season. I was on the pill, which meant I still had ghost periods. So I never even... And also, I... Like Moira Delia, I thought I was superhuman and that menopause <laughs> yeah, 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 would never sure. find me. If I kept running, it won't catch up with me. Yeah. But but it did. There, there was something that triggered off and I went, hang on a second. And I think you, you've just hit the nail. So we've already had two pieces of, three pieces of really good advice. Know your own body so that you know when something is wrong. And you've said, yes, do Google. I mean... Are you going to say, Martin, you're going to say, don't don't refer to Dr. Google, but but Sasha's got a good point there. No, no, that, look, I can't, obviously Google is a bit of, you know, our enemy. <laughs> <laughs> but it really you depends. It. But in all fairness, even I ask Dr. Google stuff, but, you know, it's certain. Oh, there we go, there we go. We've heard <laughs> from a thing is that you can't Exactly. Like, it's not but, so, like a Bible yeah, in the sense. What, what, like, I, what I usually advise is not to sort of, you know, blogs and things yes, like that. Yes, Those yes, are yes, usually yes. the worst because someone's going to talk about their own personal, personal experience, which tends to be the most negative thing possible. They, I mean, very rarely someone's going to talk about, you know, ah, you see now after the, my life is much, much better and sort of things can get... Mm -hmm. I mean, it's super rare to actually see something positive on these blogs. So I think those sort of things are a bit... Um, dangerous of sorts. So on that note, before we explore your story a little bit further, I do want to just finish off for the time being and saying that you have made a full recovery. With the exception of sadly losing an, an ovary, you have made a full recovery. Yeah, I mean, so I had 26 sutures. Which are stitches. Yeah, to get it out. Oh my... Um. I think every woman watching this is going, jeez. <laughs> so it went from the top of my abdomen, just where my ribs finish, to a few centimeters under my bikini line. So that was very hard. And for example, recently I started going to the gym. My core is like, I, I wouldn't say non-existent. It used to be non-existent. Movement has helped me a lot, but it's like, the recovery is divided in multiple phases. It's like, first you have the first phase, which is learning how to walk again, learning how to sit down, how to use the bathroom, how to shower. Like when you go to such a life-changing experience, particularly the surgery, I, did, I couldn't do anything, like nothing. I couldn't even pee by myself, you know? I, I was completely immobilized. So that's like the hardest part, I think, of the recovery. And then I'd say the second phase is like the first six months. 
So basically, okay, second phase is when the stitches are removed and then it's the six months. The six months is kind of like when the pain stops completely. But to this day, I still have swelling that hasn't gone down. And I was never told anything about possible swelling. I lost a lot of hair as well. Like, believe it or not, I used to have much more hair before the operation. That's just not possible. Oh. <laughs> I, I, if I could show you a photo, really, it was we massive. We love your hair, Sasha. <laughs> but it's, seeing your hair thin out, I got a lot of white hairs as well. No, that's just age. I'm just kidding with you. Because you, you're so beautiful. I'm so young. So, uh, uh, the recovery is... Like now, yes, I, I, I do consider myself to be fully recovered, I guess, to answer your question. But it was a very long process. For sure. And like, for example, when I'm training my abs and my core, the type of pain that you get is very specific. It's not the type of mus muscle pain that I get anywhere else in my body. It's very particular. It's like you can tell that this area of the body went through a huge trauma. As in, they had told me they went through seven layers of muscle. So uh, that's, that was quite, quite challenging, but... I love your I love your positivity though and I love your story and and just by sharing it you are an absolute hero. And I want to take your hero story and move across to Lorinda because you also have a hero story because you have a, a you've had a challenge that I think affects more of us than we know. So your story is what? Well, um unfortunately I know this isn't um um uh podcast about children but I had it has to start from there because I uh, had my son uh, he was born with a very rare condition um, we went through months and months of um, back and forth to the hospital they told us he wouldn't walk he wouldn't survive they had even sent us to bereavement counseling to prepare us for what they thought was inevitable um, and he kind of settled. We went home and he was stable. So in instead of saying kind of, you know, bring him every other day for blood tests, we said, they said, you know, we can postpone it to a week. And I remember sitting there, he was on my lap and I was, you know, just looking at the computer and I literally just did this and I felt a lump. And I said, cannot be. But in my heart, I said, this is, this is, something for sure um I called my doctor and she said oh no she said you know it's because of the hormones because of you know she's like but let's just be sure and go and do an ultrasound she's like I'll book you and go like I don't know if it was that very same day or the next day and I went and the nurse was checking and this and that and then I had already been used to like the scuffling of like nurses and doctors I hate when they like you know they start whispering and I'm like yeah. not again I cannot do this and the consultant comes in, because I knew she was the consultant. She introduced herself, and she said to me, she said, I have to do a test. She said, I don't like what I see. And she said, we need to do a biopsy. She said, either you do it now or you come back. And I was like, now, let's just do it. I need to know because I cannot continue. Like, I need to know. Um, and then we all started this whole thing of, like, tests. Meanwhile, my, my son was getting unwell again. Oh, wow. Um, and needless to say, we had to start, I started my process, so they had to do a lot of tests. Um, because they found? And they found breast cancer. Right. They did find it. Uh, the funny part is I actually had to, no one would say it. This bugged me so much. I actually had to corner the doctor because they kept saying, C 
CA and like all these code words. And I was like, can you guys say, do I have cancer, please? Yes, I had to actually say like, listen, tell me, do I have cancer or not? Like you guys are like pussyfooting around like this whole thing, you know? And they're like, cause it's not good. And you know, we don't know if it's spread and we don't know what we're gonna find. And you're so young. And I'm like, yes, but it's there. I mean, you're seeing the test, like, come on. This in my mind, I'm like, I have to take care of my son because he was, you know, still going through a lot, a lot. Um, and in that year, he had, um, he ended up having five surgeries um, and I was going back and forth, like from Boffa, because we were still at Boffa at the time, to Mater Dei if he was unwell and he was at the hospital and I would like go back and forth. Um, but yeah, they... It hadn't spread, but I ended up having to have surgery. I had the radiotherapy. What I didn't know was that even after all that, you think uh, having cancer, you just have chemo, but then you have to have your hormone, a hormone treatment as well called Herceptin. Mm. So you still have to go, even though all your chemo is done and you have to do radiotherapy, which you have to do like a lot. It's very grueling. Um, they tattoo you, which I thought was really cool. <laughs> You get a tattoo. Okay, they're dots. But I was like, <laughs> I was like, because I had been like wanting another tattoo, and I was like, yeah, you. And I saw like he comes out with the pen, and they don't tell you anything. Yeah. Hey, this is what I really. I I I can relate to that a lot. Until they get to know you, but the thing is, when you're like in and out, just popping into clinics and stuff like that, and they don't know you, like, and now, for example, with my son, because my son, this is like his life, and I always tell, um, the doctors or like. Uh, whatever, every, wherever we go, I'm like, look, he's the patient. Please speak to him and explain what's happening to him because he wants to know. And I think, and this is a whole other issue, but um, we've spoken a lot. I've spoken about like giving children a voice and listening to them because they know also as, as a patient. Anyhow, um, but I think it's disregarded as, and again, like you were saying, because of the time and the resources, and sometimes we don't have the time to explain. It's just like, okay, in, shuffling, in and out, shuffling. In and out. But I need to know. And when and when he took out this pen, I was like, are you going to give me a tattoo? <laughs> and he's like, yeah, because they, they actually mark you so that they know where to put the, um, the like a harness or whatever to, for the radiotherapy. So, so many questions, Lorena, <laughs> just come out of this. I mean, first of all, how do we know as women how common breast cancer is? Because I do believe it's it's more common than we think it is. It's very, it's very. And in fact, back then they were. Um, they back kept then, saying, being I was thirty eight. Okay. So this is now um, almost ten years. Damn, you look good, yes. woman. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, so, in over time, it's gotten. L like the age has, correct me if I'm wrong, I think the age has kind mm -hmm. of decreased, but they're yeah. like the numbers are going up as well. So there's like an, a rise in numbers and a lower in age even. Okay. So my next question to you, you mentioned, and, and Sasha was nodding away, but you've already addressed this as well, Martina, but you mentioned the fact that, that just having more information would have given you I suspect more confidence, but you also said you just wanted them to say it's cancer. Can I, can I just ask you, how difficult is that as a doctor? How difficult is it to turn around and say, you know what, it's cancer, or you know what, you're going to lose an ovary, or you know what, you're going to have to lose, have a yeah, hysterectomy. Even I'm curious That's about some, I mean, 
I can obviously only speak for of myself, course. right? Um, I, I've always, always, even when I was a junior doctor, I used to hate, hate those moments when sort of the consultant would not tell the patient what they have, just because a relative randomly has decided we're not going to tell the patient. Mm. I'm sorry. The patient sorry, is the patient. It is that patient's right. How can a relative now, obviously, not- I do need to read the room. I do need to see there are different characters. There are different anxieties. If it's not the right time to tell the patient that particular word, because you can tell that patient is very anxious and perhaps it is not. We get them back. We sit them down and we tell them again. You know, but there are ways of doing this. Obviously, clearly, you seem to me like sort of a very, you know, you were that sort of person. I had sort of to. Very, <laughs> You know, you together, know. we need to sort of move on, just, tell, you know, clearly, you wanted to know. So I see absolutely, obviously, no issue, because it's that patient's right to know what's wrong with their, their body, right? But And also what they're going through, what they're going to go through, as in, we have to explain, um, you know, obviously, from our end, probably in your case, is like the, the operation and unfortunately we don't go as far as discussing this recovery and things like that mm-hmm. and that is uh, we do rely on you know other health professionals so the nurses you know there are obviously this is a whole team this isn't just the doctor has to do everything yeah. obviously it's different phases different stages etc and in your case it would be you know the oncology team the, you know there are the nurses there's the doctors there's the radiographers there's so many different parts of this team um, but every, at every step of the way, we should explain. I mean, this is something that I sort of really have this big bugbear, sure, I guess, yeah. is the thing. Yeah. I don't yeah, know. I, I, I absolutely can't stand the fact that someone isn't given information, yeah. you know. But when we spoke to Maxine, how when this series started, when I spoke to Maxine about miscarriage, she had quite rightly said mm-hmm. this sort of expressed this dichotomy, this this challenge. She wanted post being told the news she wanted to know the details but mm-hmm. when she was told the news she was in such shell shock she didn't know how to ask the but details but that's where we it, the information needs to be relayed in a certain way yeah it's a whole it's process it's this is something very sensitive if you're dealing with infertility it's a certain sensitivity if you're dealing with miscarriages it's a certain sensitivity in your case, for us, it's an ovarian cyst, but for you, it's a life-changing event, you know? And the same with breast cancer. It's the same, you know? So ultimately, this needs to be done in a, you know, it's, it has to be tailor-made because not every patient is the same. Ultimately. I mean, I, when they told me, you know, yes, and I wanted to know because I need to kind of say like, okay, let's, how are we going to move forward? But from that moment on, it was like a Charlie Brown, wah, yeah. wah, 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 everything is, you know... Yeah. I don't know what happened. Mm-hmm. I'd like to add something on this. <laughs> yeah, total blur. Blur. Um, when I went in for the operation, I didn't know if I would actually be using, losing my ovary. It was still a question mark. They told me we'll decide when we see what the situation is. And I also didn't know the size of the scar, like the size of the opening. They told me, in fact, I'll give you like the details. Like My surgeon then, after he spoke to me after the operation, basically they... they cut kind of like this first and he put his hand in oh and he saw if if they can cup it out basically and when they saw that they couldn't they cut further so even that for me was a question mark obviously because of the nature of the situation but then afterwards it was like yeah we had to remove your ovary and this is the size of 
You see how I could never be a doctor? I'm just getting really squeamish just at that thought. <laughs> I want to come back to your story, Lorinda, and follow up with that. We've, we've had a little bit of a sideline, but... But I think it's really important also to to acknowledge that these things happen, but they're not always, and they're often not a death sentence because you are still here. Yes. And of course, Sasha, yes. you're still beautiful and smiling with your fantastic hair. So what happened from that, that point forward? But I want to be like, send out a message, like not to be afraid to check because I think a lot of times women like maybe will feel a lump and disregard it and not check and say oh no maybe it's hormones or maybe can you know you just have a baby or it's just lumps or whatever yes we know our normal but sometimes like you're saying once you start getting older your normals start to change and you don't know how things are evolving in your body and changing and so like I am always encouraging people not to sit idle and not check. Had I not mentioned and said, no, maybe it's just milk or whatever, I probably wouldn't be here today. My, my hand has just crept <laughs> over my, my right boob right now. No. I'm just going, oh, this is not the time to do no. this, Trude. But okay. But, uh -huh. but you know, this is something that, I don't know, maybe it's just me and like having had to go through so many things that I never expected I would have to go through with my son. And maybe that also gives me kind of like, I'm not taking any risks because I would like to be around and, you know, be there for my son. So I have to take care of myself. Mm -hmm. Like ignoring my own health isn't going to do anyone any good, you know? So I need to be around for him and still help him. He has like the whole, his whole life um, dealing with things. So, you know, I made make that extra effort to take care of myself it's still ongoing I mean years so we left off at the tattoos yes and then I did my treatment um and then years some years later I was on um one type of medication and my oncologist one fine day said um I think we need to change your medication and I'm sitting in his office and I still have PTSD every time I go to oncology because I'm like what is going to happen today? So I sat there thinking it's just a random, normal um, checkup because you have to go every so often. And he said, so I'm guessing your childbearing days are over, so I'm going to put you in induced menopause. And I was like, oh, okay. But I was like, you've already made that decision. And yes, I know that maybe I, I wasn't planning on having other children, but okay, Melanie, you've decided that for me. Thank you very much. And it was either that or major surgery, which everyone was like, no, you should not do major surgery. So I am now to be able to take this other chemo tablet. I am an induced menopause and I could possibly finish taking this medication and then get my normal period again and then go into menopause again natural menopause <laughs> okay so but you're, you're still taking chemo so how no a tablet a team a chemo okay, just to you're still keep... taking a tablet that relates to your breast cancer which was how long ago eight years wow wow but so people you're don't still... talk about this this kind of stuff and backtracking a bit I'm glad that that doctor did change that medication because a few months after he changed it, I had a minor uh, TIA uh, stroke. Sorry. Okay. So I had a very minor stroke. And after when I saw him, he said it's probably because of, he says, that's why I didn't like that medication. And I'm glad I took you off it because it probably would have been worse. 
Look, ladies, we can talk about this for a really long time. And again, I want to, to, to sort of finish your story by saying I'm really glad that you are still with us. Thank you. And <laughs> obviously, um, and would like you to wrap up your story with a positive word, but also a word of encouragement and direction for other women. You've also mentioned check, always check, always check. But, but also to finish your story, I mean, it, was there anything that you could have taken that was positive from your experience? Did anything happen? Did one doctor speak to you or anything that you, you say, you know what, that was the silver lining or that was the golden spark of that? that I think uh, it really opened my eyes and changed my perspective to life in general. It completely in general. I, I mean, I used to grumble and, you know, it was like, oh, this is this and this is that. And now, I mean, people say to me like, oh, I shouldn't grumble. But it's no, because you grumble about your worst. My worst, that's not my worst. My worst is something else. Mm -hmm. So, but my, my perspective in life has completely changed. And now the smallest of things don't, I feel like it's just nothing. It's okay. So when I have a cold now, my husband will be like, are you okay? And I'm like, it's a cold. <laughs> you know, so we have to take things into consideration and have like a positive perspective in relation. It's relative to what we've been through. Yeah. My worst isn't your worst. It's not it's not a competition of I, I don't say I don't share my story to say, oh, woe is me. And you know what I went mm -hmm. through. I share it because I it can happen to anyone. I never thought that I would go through one percent of that. Yeah. This is what I hear mm -hmm. over and over and over again that it can happen to can anyone happen to and anyone. none of us are infallible. None of us exactly. can escape this. Exactly. So why would you ignore a feeling? Why would you, we're not invincible and I'm, I'm not, I'm cells and blood like we all are in this room. So it's not going to. I love that you said that you didn't expect it to happen to you. So again, just to, to wrap up your personal story, what is your word of guidance, encouragement, or, or even just to, to, to direct women? Is it to get themselves checked? Is it, I mean, is there anything else to add? Don't to ignore feelings, no matter what doctors tell you. Um, my personal experience with doctors, both for me and my husband, has been exceptional, so I cannot, I have... You know, but again, that's why I was saying the age and, you know, depending on the circumstance. So very unfortunate. Don't overlook if you're feeling something. And nowadays, the health healthcare system and science is so advanced. Don't be discouraged by a diagnosis. It doesn't mean it's the end. Like, I hate speaking like that, but that's the truth. It's not the end. There's such like a good prognosis most of the time. It's, it's going to be a shitty time. It's a roller coaster and you'll, it'll affect the rest of your life, but it's not the end. And like, for me, I think it, it put me where I was meant to be. Wow. What a yeah. positive finish to your story. What a positive way to wrap your story. And that's absolutely amazing. Sasha, you've got to follow that because I'm going to come to you and ask you, was there anything that you could take away from your story that left you with a positive thought and what your advice would be to other women? So I attribute this whole experience <clears throat> to where I am now in my life. And I'll explain why very briefly. This whole domino effect happened. After I went out of hospital, um, a week and a half later, when I still had stitches in, <clears throat> I organized the Central Link 
three protests. That's what the operation gave me. It gave me new life. It gave me new energy. I was so hyper. I couldn't walk, but I was so hyper. I wanted to change the planet. <laughs> that protest is what gained me recognition within the environmental sector and opened the door to journalism. If I didn't go to the, to, through the operation, I wouldn't be a journalist today. I know it. I know it because it changed me. What you were saying before about the grumbling. I was a very negative person. I'm not saying that I still don't have the tendency to be one, <laughs> but I was such a negative person. And that reframed my whole perspective on life. And what I would tell women, women is listen to your intuition, listen to it. I had the nagging voice in my head that nagged and nagged and nagged for years on end. And if only I had listened to that voice and nothing else, I would have found things before. And don't be scared about going to the gynae. Don't be scared. I know it's daunting. I know it's the most horrible thing. I still, like every We're time I go dead, to the gynecologist. Dead, dead. No. <laughs> <laughs> Debatable. I just, I just Debatable. say, I'm, I'm grateful that they're there too. Yeah. Yeah. I love the fact Ma yeah. Martin is like, we're not all that bad. <laughs> yeah. No, the, the tests themselves, they're very invasive. As in, a smear yeah. test for me is still like... Yeah. Last time I went to the gynecologist, and this happened four years ago now. The last time I went, which was a few months ago, she had to calm me down for 30 minutes. She literally had to distract me. She had to speak to me. She, I had to tell her about my life in a very like, she was like, ah, so what do you do? She saw how panicked and scared I was. And she's like, okay, we need to calm down. So find the gynecologist that works for you. There are some amazing ones in Malta. You will find the support from them. And don't be scared to go for the appointment. It's a daunting appointment. It's quite invasive, you can't deny that, but they're needed, you know? And I'll finish off by saying, it's much more scary knowing what you have than not knowing what you have. Definitely. You made me go goosebumpy and you saw me getting <laughs> choked up because I love the fact that you've both had these life-changing experiences which were negative, but they've been life-changing for the positive. You both have this incredible outlook on life. I'm going to let Martina, who is a great gynecologist, <laughs> have the last word. She's like, no, we're all good. <laughs> no, no. But, but yeah. you know, you do have the last word. I'd, mm. I'd really like you to kind mm -hmm. of just give some advice to any woman who's listening to this show We've had some great advice from, from women who've had this experience, but what, yeah. what would you say? So I just wanted to latch on to something you said, because I think it's, it's very important. At the end of the day, um, different doctors have different characters, and you need to find the right one for you, what you've just said, because I think that makes all the difference so much. totally so much. um and it's fine it's really not a big deal you don't like me that's okay <laughs> it's, i'm not going to be offended you know i want you to get Martini, a good service you're hardcore there. No, no, but it's true like i just want that patient to get a good service you don't like me that's fine we can find someone that you're going to click with that's okay i'd much rather that than you don't tell me what you're actually feeling what's wrong with it because you're shy or you don't feel comfortable i mean that's it's a pointless exercise really mm -hmm. so i i really 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 think you need to find someone that you you know you feel comfortable with um and just another thing that obviously because we're really going medical in terms of women's health but actually it's so holistic i think sort of we're a, a completely different being from a man <laughs> i 
obviously. <laughs> yes. um, but on so many aspects and so many levels, you know. So I don't, I think we have to sort of, um, you know, it's not just the medical side of things, you know. You have to be okay with your mind, with your body, know you're normal with your mind, with your body. Be aware. There's a lot of awareness that you need, you know, that I think is a real big thing. I think if you're aware of how you feel in certain situations, even just throughout the cycle, if we're going medical again or whatnot, um, you know, these things, that's what I mean by sort of knowing what your normal is. Yeah, okay, I'm going to PMS two days to go and then I'm going to be fine. Great. So if I'm going to, you know, bark at someone, I'll try not to, but, you know, I know why. That's okay. You know, so it's sort of knowing these things. Um, and, and yeah, it's a lot of sort of knowing your normal. And don't be scared to ask questions um things like you know you know sexual questions vaginal dryness things like that I mean the amount of times that I need to prompt a patient to actually tell me that problem is incredible especially older patients you know so just don't be scared you know to to say these things I mean we're not going to tell anyone so (laughs) you know just we can help you and and you know it's it's just it's it's you know just be confident with who you who you've linked in with you know and sort of so know yourself and find somebody who's who works for you I think that's really the main thing. I feel like we've had a really important show. I think sometimes we have these shows and we don't have no idea what the ripple effects of these shows are, but I have a feeling that the ripple effects of this show will be very far reaching. So I want to say a huge thank you for coming, for sharing, for being so honest, sharing your stories, but also sharing so much hope and so much wisdom. And I'm going to say cheers. Cheers to you, ladies. Cheers Cheers for being amazing and incredible heroes. Thank you very much indeed. Thank you. (laughs)